Wednesday evening edition of the pod, taking another chance to go back and look at our preseason predictions. This is more of the individual variety. Basically, what we do on the day before the season is we do an awards pod, but we actually just go through and try to predict who's going to win everything. And so we have some of our own awards, like sophomore of the year, player who most beat regression, biggest surprise team uh, that we try and predict. And now we are going to go back and look at those predictions and make ourselves very unhappy. So well, let's, uh, I, it's cer- in certain respects. As we always um, uh, are want to do here. And, and something so that let's, kind- uh, let's give it a shot here. Let's start just by talking about some of the team stuff. We hit on that a fair amount already in the over-unders, but uh, there are a few other things that, that really stuck out to me uh, in terms of my win predictions. And I think really one of the biggest places that I went wrong in the East was I gave Orlando, Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, and Brooklyn too many wins, and I didn't give enough to all the those six really like actual good teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I I think that the idea of the game by game over the course of the year, you know, the 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 mighty beating up on the small, and I mean, it wasn't necessarily like we were super low on. I mean, obviously the Bucks were were much higher on, and I it happens some years where just like those teams just the good teams just don't lose as much. Toronto for me, I mean, I had them at, I had them at forty six wins. They went went well past that. And so that part of the structure, the bottom, you know, that they're not really being that second class of teams, you know, being fringe playoff teams in the East was a real problem. And then they're not really being a third class other than teams that ended up being pushed into being pushed into the playoffs by virtue of nobody else being there. And I thought in the East, that was a it it, might have been hard to predict since some of it was injuries, but some of it was also not. I mean, Chicago was was had some injury stuff, but not, you know, like as much as Detroit did. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chicago and Detroit, I think both got blitzed pretty badly by injuries. Like I, I, and so did Brooklyn actually. I mean, those, those three teams, you know, Blake Griffin, just, they got nothing out of him. The Bulls got absolutely nothing out of Otto Porter, which was big. And then Markinen also ended up missing. Really, Levine. Yeah, Levine was the only guy in their starting lineup. I guess Sadaranti too. Levine and Sadaranti among their projected stars, the only ones who played a lot. I mean, the Bulls were were had to play like Cristiano Felicio a lot (laughs) because Cornette and Daniel Gafford, who was a second round pick, and Wendell Carter all missed, and Larry Markinen all missed time, and a lot of it was at the same time. So I, I do think the Bulls were pretty hard hit. Uh, to be sure one of the other funny things that happened for me was because we're recording this you know a few days after the over-unders is there a few of these that I'm noticing my win predictions for teams would have put me on the other side of the over-under but that's what the passage of time does because we record over-unders usually closer to when they come out and then by we record this podcast on the day before the season starts so we've seen a lot of information you know who looks good in preseason we know more about injuries and health than we would yeah I I moved Toronto down a win (laughs) (laughs) After the preseason. Yeah, so I moved Washington up a little bit and a few other teams, but I I thought that was interesting. And then in in the West, I was... I was really embracing this idea that nobody was going to be great and that all the the top teams were going to beat up on each other and the bottom was stronger. And, you know, the Lakers pushing well past it. The Clippers were looking strong as well. And so it was, you know, there were parts of that idea that I think were had some merit. The three through six, seven group being as close as they were kind of fit that idea. It was just that the Lakers were well past that and the Clippers, depending on how things had gone, they were moving in that direction over the end of the season. And then the thing in the West, I mean, obviously the Warriors, 
Warriors falling off as the way they did is is big. But also, I think it was more the theory of that was pretty good. But then, kind of who was in the mix and who wasn't in the mix? Like OKC, I predicted them for thirty three. They ended up obviously being kind of two classes above that. Yeah, I mean, I think in the West to only get five out of the eight playoff teams. I mean, I can't remember the last time I was that bad and. I did kind of acknowledge, though, that there there could be some teams coming up from the bottom. Like, one of the things that I noted was I had Golden State getting the eighth seed with 45 wins, but I said they're still more likely than not to not make the playoffs, that one of those teams uh, is going to come up below them and probably be better than them. And, and obviously, you know, they, they weren't even close to making the playoffs, uh, as it turned out. But, yeah, I mean, I had OKC 13th in the West with 33 wins. That was obviously way off. Um and uh, the the one thing back to the east though that i remember is i don't know that we've ever seen the race for the eighth seed be so bad where a team like brooklyn is on pace for 38 wins and they're gonna make the playoffs comfortably yeah like like, sometimes you'll see a bunch of teams you know uh, having a pebble fight about you know who's gonna get the eighth seed with 38 wins like and i think the the lowest we've ever seen is like 37 maybe there's one year there's 36 wins but at least there were a lot of teams are on there trying for it, but here it was Brooklyn was going to make the playoffs by five games with 38 wins. Well, two two other crazy things about that. One, there was this brief conversation about well, wouldn't it be good for the Nets to keep their pick this year and then and then you do because it's it's playoff protected. I don't even know that they could have. You know, like basically that who who would have jumped up and taken it? And also, you talked about how you had five of the eight uh, West playoff teams. I had six. I had all eight of the East ones, and it, it that isn't. I, I don't take that as an accomplishment. It, all that I, really that was for me was having Detroit ninth. Like other, and I mean, obviously they fell way off way off that. But it's like I don't feel that good about getting all eight in the East. Well, here's another thing too. I mean, we've noted how many players, really good All NBA players, just basically made no impact this season Steph Curry Clay Thompson uh Victor Oladipo Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant I mean that could be five of of the 15 best players in the league right there that I just named and so maybe the lesson to take from this is if you have a season like that and obviously we couldn't have known Curry and Irving would miss that much time but uh the other ones it it was pretty clear and Blake Griffin was coming in too I mean that was not Blake Griffin was one of the first 15 best players in the NBA last year yeah and he he, he had that surgery during the offseason yeah so so by the time the season started it was pretty clear that he was a major question mark so maybe what you can take away from that is you're gonna see more stratification in a season like that where the good teams are just gonna uh, and it's you're gonna pull more players from the top because those the teams that did pretty well maybe with the exception of toronto and indiana those would be the two but indiana had had really good depth you know if you look at those top 13 teams that were really a cut above this year they stayed healthy and the teams below them really really struggled to stay healthy and i'm not sure why we saw so many injuries some of them dated back to last year it was really a contrast to last year because until the playoffs with those catastrophic injuries to thompson and durant in the finals it was maybe the healthiest year that we had seen and the the quality of play was really high last year Kawhi leonard was back you know 17 18 there there are guys who who missed time He, he was he didn't figure it all uh but really all of the top 10 players in the nba were available pretty much from the get-go last year until 
uh, Thompson, I mean, correct me if I'm missing anyone, but Thompson Durant went down in the finals. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, Blake, Blake yeah. being out, but the Pistons weren't a factor in the first round anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but even he was there. He played 75 games or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that was a playoff-specific end of the regular season when they were just fall, almost falling out and then stayed in. So quickly here uh, on the team stuff, uh, I had a bottom tier of Cleveland, Washington, New York. I think all of that worked out well. Memphis, uh-uh, and Phoenix, uh-uh. Who would you say was, if you you did this the tiers pod with Matt Moore, who would you say was in reality the bottom tier by the end of the season? Warriors, Cavs, Knicks. Yeah, maybe Washington escapes that. I mean, yeah, I think Washington escapes that. And and then there are teams like the Hawks where, like, they were based on, like, kind of the early part, but then they were th- figuring things out a little bit more. So I think they might have worked their way out of it. You know, those sorts of... I mean, yeah, like, Pistons were definitely in the bottom yes. tier by the end. By the end, they were, yeah. Hornets... Yes, I, I, I was. And the Hornets outperformed their Hornets differential. So if we're going on team quality, I, I think I just forgot to write them down because if I was twenty four, yeah, I had them. Yeah. I had them. I had them thirteenth with twenty eight wins. So they were in that bottom tier for me. Oh, you had you had them getting up to twenty eight wins. Yeah. Wow, that was actually like pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I had the money. I, I can't I can't say that I predicted that they would outperform their points differential. I mean, a big part of that was I thought like Batum and Zeller and those type of guys were going to keep them a little bit afloat. Um, yeah. What um one other kind of on the team side of it thing that I think is worthwhile is the like we we always predict our kind of fin- the equivalent of a final four the 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 conference finals in each one and I had. The Clippers and Lakers in the West, totally fine with that as as things are now. And then Milwaukee and Philly. Philly is the least likely, of course, of those four, the least successful of the regular season teams. And because of the way the bracket was looking, that was something I was already obsessing over in March. Um, but, I mean, to, to, to get three out of four that I felt reasonably good about, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, my I had a group of championship contenders, Milwaukee, Philly, Houston, Lakers, Clippers, I guess we never talked about this really of who we thought actually were capable of winning a championship. Uh, I'm sure we would have talked about that before the playoffs start. I'm sure we will talk about it before the playoffs starts. But as of right now, who would your group of championship contenders have been? The the top M- Milwaukee tier. Lakers and and Clippers are in there obviously. Yeah, and those are my only three. Really? Yeah. So you just you, Milwaukee is just that much of a lock. I mean, there are other teams that have like a chance. But of the like, have a like a, a legit shot because remember that if like it's, let's say a team like Toronto beats the Bucks, they still have to beat one of the LA teams or somebody else that comes out. And so like there are other teams I think that can make the conference finals, but I wouldn't give them a strong chance of winning in the finals, assuming health is equal and all that stuff. Boston? Nope. <laughs> what what do you did you what you have seen as as their weakness there, I, that it just wouldn't I mean, be think think about how they would the challenges they would have had defending the two LA teams. I mean in Giannis too. I mean they the the, the I I've said I, I I've, think I've they would have been fine defending the, the and, Lakers. Like they they played the Lakers just fine in the uh in in the regular season. Well, and also concentrating minutes like those especially the LA teams concentrating their minutes on the best players I think creates creates a lot more problems. You know, and Boston has they you know yeah. they, they have good they have good depth and they have you know they have high end starting talent. I also am like I'm as great as Jason Tatum played for February to for for me like when you when you're seeing teams, you know, a lot of those teams also have capable perimeter defenders like seeing them engage with him and like okay, so cool. let's say the Clippers make the finals then let's see what Jason Tatum could do with Kawhi on him. That would be that would be a challenge. And 
Boston, I'm not saying they have zero chance. I'm just saying that there's a, a marked difference between those three teams and everyone else. Then 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 that's sometimes I'm more aggressive with like sometimes yeah. the people get into this with, oh, you didn't consider this person. It's like, well, if I can't make a, a really good argument, then it's not considered in the same fashion. Yeah, and Philly with the Simmons injury, that right. obviously really would have made it impossible for them. But perhaps there's a chance that he could return now, uh, depending on what the timeline was. Uh, the conference finalists and champion, I actually had the Lakers against Houston because my thought was that Houston would be the one seed and the Clippers would be only have 52 wins and would be in the 4-5. That obviously turned out to not be right. I just didn't think the Clippers would take the regular season seriously, but and they haven't. <laughs> but they also were able to uh, be on track for 58 wins uh, regardless. So, was very wrong there. Uh but I did, you know, I did see the Lakers coming as a conference finals team. I don't know that a lot of people did have that. Um and Houston they were just uh, so variable after they went to this small ball group that and they had caused problems for the Clippers until that crazy blowout that the Clippers had of them so I I, I think it probably would have been the two LA teams depending on what the bracket was um so well, yeah, all right let's one, take a, one, one, yeah, one quick thing I mentioned there I had when I said I had a Lakers Clippers conference finals I had neither of those teams as top two seeds in the west I predicted that the one and two would both lose before the conference final and now they ended up that they probably would have been the one and two, so it would have been easier. All right, quick break here, and we'll get back to talking about uh, the rest of our individual awards. So I had a couple of special predictions. One was that the Lakers and Clippers were the two best West playoff teams in terms of like how good they would actually be in the playoffs, but I thought they would play each other before the conference finals. Uh, I thought that this definitely proved to be correct. I said nobody would make a trade that moves the needle in terms of getting into championship contention. So going from outside of the group of championship contenders into that group, I, don't, I think that, would you agree with me that that was correct? I would. Yeah. Uh, James Harden would still average over 34 points per game. What was he at? As of this recording, Harden is at 34.4. Kudos. All right, so he probably would have made it, yeah, you would think. I, think I mean, he was, he was certainly on the way. I mean, he had what two months into the year he was that people were talking about him having the highest scoring season of all time by someone who wasn't will chamberlain and that that didn't end up happening and, and I, I will mention this again it will be a lot it'll be a little while until this is relevant there is a lot of excitement in like especially like around halfway through the season with no player has done this since x and there's a reason why halfway numbers you could get that ridiculous stuff because you haven't had the second half of the season and so like you get like the stuff with the highest scoring since well it's like just see where just see where things go a little bit dude i'll tell you what man once basketball gets back i'm gonna just be excited i'm gonna get incredibly excited for every single little thing that happens every player is gonna be the greatest player of all time i'm just gonna be so happy that it's back all right, no, no, come on. We all know that's, that's not true. But I'm gonna be. I will be happy that it's back. I oh. will not be overly optimistic. I, I will just be glad that I can. I, I will still go get. I will to, still uh, get cranky about flaws and flaws in the way statistics are used. That's just the way I am. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I will be extremely happy in almost every other facet. I will not be that. That will still. That will still get to be. Uh, are, there, are we done with your special predictions? No, I, I had a couple more. Okay. Uh, but feel free. Did you have any or no? Was, I don't was usually. I, I don't this? usually do that. There are. You know, my documents already like four pages long. So I didn't. I don't think it needed more. I demand recognition of these documents. Um, I had John ja Morant being top five in the NBA in assists per game. That was incorrect. He was 14th in assists per game. 
the top five, LeBron James, 10.6, Trey Young, 9.3, Ricky Rubio, Luka Doncic, and Ben Simmons. Hmm. Damian Lillard actually was six, 7.8. That was, he's really improved his distribution over the years. Also probably didn't see Devontae Graham at, at number eight. Yeah. MVP. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, one other thing too. I had uh, nobody makes a trade to clear 2020 cap space, and that was correct. Nobody did do that. Well, you could argue that Detroit did, but it was kind of different than that. Uh, oh, and my and my uh, and Miami. Well, I don't know if my again. I don't know if Miami did it for the express purpose, but Miami did. Yeah, you're right. I guess I lost that one then. It gets complicated because for both teams, you could make an argument that's not why they made the trade, but it was an important facet of it. The, the but the Drummond challenge trade. I mean, I think that's it's hard to argue against that being part of what Detroit was doing. Yeah, I think. Miami maybe was a little bit different because I I don't think they were going to sign any big players necessarily uh that, that they're they would have just signed some one year stuff well, and they tried to not have cap space if they would have done the gallo component but they just couldn't get that done yeah that's a great point i mean it definitely i i would say that was like the tertiary motivation <laughs> behind that trade sure but no D- detroit absolutely yes they well well actually no because hmm I mean, I guess the question is, like, are you saying that they gave up assets to clear the space out? Like, is that what we're talking about? It it doesn't appear that Drummond was an asset, so... Well, they traded him for a second rounder. Like, it was... They got something for him. Yeah, I I, I probably got to take the L on that one, sadly. Um, Okay, individual awards here. Note that these predictions were basically we us predicting who we thought would deserve it. So, us predicting who we would give it to. And I think we can just use our most recent award pods as a as a proxy sure you know we only had about another week or so of evidence that came in after that so my or since i've been going for a while here give me your top five and mvp number one Giannis. number two steph curry number three james harden number four nicole Jokic. number five lebron yeah so i had Giannis number one as well so i think he both deserves to win it and will win it uh barring something crazy like the whole league shutting down due to uh some pandemic curry i had as number two i had listed these players though in my greatest likelihood that they would win it correct as opposed to yeah so is that that's how you looked at it too you weren't like trying to predict who the number two no. mvp no that's like yeah. for when we get to first coach fired for example it's it's on likelihood yeah. of being the first coach fired not on likelihood of like be, of, of the or, of projected ordering yeah because steph curry i thought he was the second most likely to win it but i thought it would be quite binary for him which turned out to be right uh, that if Golden State played really well, he would just have such a monster year that it would be him. But I couldn't see a scenario in which he would necessarily finish second. I thought he'd either get it or he'd be like way down the list. And I wasn't expecting him obviously to miss all but five games of the season. But I, I think given where Golden State's season was heading before he got hurt, he probably wouldn't have figured it in the top five anyway. Right. And then Harden was a natural fit for me to be to be in this part of the conversation. I mean, Westbrook, you know, did take on a different a different role in in some respects than I than I anticipated, yeah. obviously, with the change in personnel that happened. I would so the the two big changes for me, obviously Luca's ascendance. That is that is the most to me the most important moving yeah. into yeah. into the top five. I had a best chance of breaking in of Jokic, Lillard, and LeBron. So yeah, Luca. I mean, I, I don't think anybody was talking about him as even you know a top ten player before this this year. Right. So that's a big jump. And then LeBron. Some of it was that I thought Anthony Davis would take attention away, which I don't think really happened in terms of yeah. the MVP. I had Davis above LeBron. Yeah. Uh, um. And, and all of the t- you'll remember even that first game. This is we did the before the first game, but like 
Davis had like the most post-ups of his degree at like 19 post-ups. LeBron was talking about wanting to just, you know, make it his team and all that stuff. And so I, I kind of bought into that a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I think Davis will would have been, you know, sixth or seventh or something uh, on my eventual ballot. But uh, no, LeBron, I, I think, was number two for me when we did the, the actual awards a couple of weeks ago. He was for me uh, th- as well. And then, um, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then Lillard, I had Lillard fifth on my ballot uh, for the end of the actual, like for, for the most recent awards podcast. And then, um, and he was not in my top five before. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, we also did who will get MVP. Both of us picked Giannis. That's looking like uh, that was going to be correct. Coach of the year. Um, and the way we do coach of the year is basically which coach added the most value towards winning regular season basketball games in this season. I had number one, Quinn Snyder, number two, Greg Popovich, and number three, Mike Budenholzer. And my pick for the coach of the year ended up being Nick Nurse, uh, Budenholzer second, Brad Stevens third those those were my top three uh with Spolstra Nate McMillan Rick Carlisle and Frank Vogel also uh, all getting attention there uh who is your actual coach of the or, or your predicted coach of the year I said that so in the deserves category which is the one we focus on here I had my one two three was Pop Doc Rivers and Spolstra and all you know Doc and Spo or I still I think all three of those are some of the best coaches in the league but they got surpassed by the the player the coaches that you mentioned who I agree with there and then I did make a separate prediction of who will win as Rick Carlisle because of this idea that the Mavericks were going to be better than anticipated and I don't know he might have a you know because of the way coach of the year voting actually works it's more on how you perform relative to expectations and perceived talent level there's a chance he does really well yeah there is uh, I, I think my guess would be it probably would end up being nurse but I think that's one that could come down to it at the end it does do the Celtics or the Raptors end up finishing better I mean there's a there are a lot of surprise teams which usually means that there are a lot of great coaching candidates this year and I mean Budenholzer too deserved to be right up there to me but yeah Popovich and Snyder I mean both of those teams were a little bit below expectations I'd say so neither of them figured into it in the end here uh the first coach fired (laughs) and so first coach fired same logic as we talked about with MVP so it's most likely to be first not the ordering so my most likely was Scott Brooks he kept his job second was D'Antoni on yeah the you and I you and I disagreed about that because uh I thought his contract was just too big yeah and 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 the Wizards I would say they they exceeded expectations I mean at least the biggest yeah. over under and our own expectations and I, I mean I, I think Scott Brooks actually like I mean I, I don't think he's an amazing coach but i don't think that he did a bad job this year at all i think they were uh i mean he, he was willing to uh stop worrying and embrace the all offense strategy because he didn't have a choice didn't have any other defensive players but yeah it might- I, I think there's there's one point i i can't remember who asked him this it might have been fred uh who asked him in a press conference like hey you know have you thought about maybe just you know with the personnel that's available just uh you know forgetting about defense and just trying to outscore the other team and, and scott was like isn't that what we've been doing <laughs> yeah. and, and then my number two was d'antoni on the logic that if the rockets fall especially with him being in the final year of his contract like that could be a way that they shake things up the rockets didn't they shook it up differently um with with personnel and then I had fizdale third who ended up being the first fire yeah, Fizdale was on that list of possibles for me. I actually had Nate McMillan as the number one. I thought the Pacers, again, were going to underperform, particularly in the early part of the season, and it, that there was just noise out of there of like, okay, hey, we got you the playmakers. Like, are you going to get them to perform now? Like, there's that whole narrative that uh, Jay Michael was talking about uh, when he came on the pod at the start of the year. So 
uh also mentioned uh frank vogel i mean it's it's amazing to think back to like ooh, hey kittlefinger in the background there but that that didn't turn out to be the case and uh jim boylan i should have known better that uh the bulls would never fire I had like I had Billy Donovan on my list on the same kind of thought basis that you had with Dane McMillan, but then they ended up doing so well, and I thought Donovan did a very good job there. And then I had Borrego, but you know I, I don't think I haven't heard anything that he's too that he's too frustrated. Defensive Player of the Year, I thought that the top line wasn't as interesting. I went Gobert and beat Giannis, and Giannis ended up being my choice as of the last awards pod. You know that he just he stepped it up a little bit. Gobert didn't, and then Embiid had had this kind of weird year. I think I think Embiid, you know, he doesn't have a case to win the award, but he's he hasn't been like terrible or anything defensively. What I thought was most interesting was I had this in on defensive player of the year, especially when I think that a top end is more solidified. I end up using the also considered for like guys that I think could end up like really bolstering the reputation. Not that they could seriously win it, but they could do that. And that group is in some ways a boulevard of broken dreams. So I. Miles Turner, a little bit of a disappointment. Siakam, just his role shifted so much he hasn't been as good defensively. AD, sure. Um, Draymond, we've talked about his season a lot. Hassan yeah, Whiteside. Yeah, I, 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 my note on Draymond was he has a lot of work to do with less talent around him. And he, uh, he didn't really feel like doing that work. Right. And <laughs> so Draymond and then Hassan Whiteside and Mitchell Robinson. And Whiteside, didn't he didn't kind of thrive as much defensively as I thought that he might. Not that he was, you know, abysmal or anything. And then Mitchell Robinson just didn't, he didn't move up as much as I hoped. I, I, I talked a lot about him uh, in the breakout players pod that I did with Ben Taylor before the season. And the, the, the thought behind it, I think, was sound. It just didn't end up manifesting really at all. Yeah, I had Giannis as my number one before the season. I had him as my number one when we did our awards. I believe that he probably will win it. Uh, the Bucks have uh, just the best defense that we've seen in some time in the regular season. Uh, I, I thought he was uh, the statistical argument was very clear in his favor, uh, and also just the fact that he plays on that great defense and the fact that he is uh, so versatile defensively. He does great work out there. I had. Uh, Embiid number two because I thought again the the Sixers were going to be an awesome defense but that that didn't materialize and Gobert number three uh, I went with Gobert number two on my most recent ballot that doesn't actually exist and Brook Lopez as uh, number three which is uh, not someone that that I really had in that group so, before the year since I'm thinking about it I wonder if there are going to be people and I'm sure there will be who vote for Giannis as player as defensive player of the year and then do not pick him for MVP and that will probably drive me insane because then what you're right. arguing you're arguing that like lebron's offense is that much better okay we'll get we'll give you a chance to calm down with it with a quick ad break and, <laughs> and then we can continue sixth man i went with number one spencer dinwiddie number two marcus smart and number three jj reddick i think dinwiddie would have had a pretty decent chance of getting it if Kyrie Irving had stayed healthy uh and but he didn't and dinwiddie moved into the starting line but and he was you know, even getting some fringe all-star consideration for a time uh, but then he just, for whatever reason, couldn't hit a three-pointer that this year. I think that really sunk him. But I mean, when you consider that he was the only guy on the team who could dribble for large swaths of this year, um, it, that was uh, his efficiency did drop off a little bit. But I, I, I really liked him a lot as, as a six-man. I think he's one of the best players. He just wasn't coming off the bench by uh, enough, so that's that's why I missed out on yeah, that one. And, and Marcus Smart was also ineligible by virtue of him being a primary starter for the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't supposed to start, but then they just had so many injuries that, uh, I mean, and, and his versatility to start at basically any position other than center maybe sunk me here too, because he could just, he was going to fill in for whoever it was, no matter, uh, unless it was the center who was out. 
Yeah, so I went with Lou Williams third, and he just didn't have the same type of year. So yeah, I mean, and, and it, we went through the the actual winner. So all three of mine were not in my top three. Um, yeah, I mean, I did at least have Maxi Kleba as a candidate. I did not have George Hill as a candidate. He was actually my number two, but Montrose Harrell was uh, my number one. I had J.J. Redick as uh, number three, and he also had to start due to injuries a fair amount of the year, and and then also didn't play that much due to his own injuries. And, and the Pels starting 6-22, and 22, I think, uh, might have hurt his candidacy a, a little bit. And he, I think just his defensive issues became more apparent to outside of all that great size that they had in philly rookie of the year i went jaw morant one deandre hunter two zion williamson three remember that we already knew zion was going to miss the front stretch of the season due to injury then hunter it feels like a lifetime ago had a had a pretty strong preseason he was having the ball in his hands more than anticipated and everything else that didn't really quite materialize and i didn't i mean we knew he was gonna play at least Yes, we knew he was going to play at least, and then you know didn't didn't see Kendrick Nunn's role and success coming, which made him uh, my number three, and then um, and then my pr- I did make a separate prediction for this award that R.J. Barrett was going to actually win it, and drive us insane. That is not going to happen. We don't good because because we would have to take another ad break if uh, if that had actually happened. Um, so I had John Morant number one, Zion number two. Even knowing the injury, I just especially after that preseason, I was like. I don't care when he gets back. He's going to be really awesome. And that turned out to be the case. I'm sure he would have gotten number two. He might have even gotten number one, depending on how the season played out, because he was just so ridiculous. Uh, number three, I had Ben Simmons. Oh, that's, that's good. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I made that joke and actually wrote it down the sheet. Uh, <laughs> Darius Garland was my number four, and uh, that was hopelessly, uh, and, and my actual number three, uh, that was hopelessly wrong. I, I just figured he would... He was better than R.J. Barrett. He would, Kevin Love would be back. They'd actually have like a decent situation for him to succeed in. But unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. Uh, Barrett, I had number six. Again, we're talking about who would deserve it and not get it. Uh, sophomore of the year was Luka Doncic. At least we were right about that. Uh, yeah, and, and I, was, then, I was happy with my honorable mentions too. I said Trey Young, Jaron Jackson, Mitchell Robinson, DeAndre Ayton, and Che. It's not a bad group. Yeah, Trey, Trey was my, we had a pick, a, a category for sophomore of the year, non-last year's rookie of the year winner. That was Trey Young. That turned out to, to be right. And then Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was, was number three for that. And so, so we went three for three on that one, I think. Um, probably Jaron Jackson Jr. would have had to be number four, right? Yeah, I think so. So this is interesting. We haven't actually talked about this yet on the show. We'll probably have to really go through in depth. But most improved player, I had number one, Zach Levine. This is always impossible because picking the most improved player, a lot of times it's, hey, who improved in a way that you couldn't see coming? (laughs) So uh, I had number one, Zach Levine, who I thought did actually get a little bit better this year, but uh, not enough, especially given the the Bulls' putrid offense to really figure on this. Number two, Jamal Murray. He is kind of very incremental improvement, so not really. Uh, But I at least had Pascal Siakam as number three my list was lonzo luke Kennard, kendrick nunn my stance was that he he should be qualified for most improved because he had been in the nba system the year before royce o'neill and jason tatum yeah jason tatum might have been up there i i had him listed among my candidates here here are a few of the other ones that i went through devin booker who i think did take a big step forward this year markel fultz i mean technically did really improve a lot yeah um lonzo ball improved a lot i had bam out of bio on my list i feel i mean think about how many guys really improved this year this yet yet another aspect of what made this season so unpredictable well, and, the, I mean, the number of guys who ascended to all-star status this year that hadn't been there before yeah uh 
couple of interesting names that I thought about, Russell Westbrook. And actually, if they had just been playing this way all year, like just where he'd been at since they went to the small ball and when he was healthy, compared to where he was last year, that actually, this is like, I mean, he wouldn't have won it, but he really did improve a lot by the end, although not in a way I was anticipating. I thought he would shoot it better than he had. But I did think, hey, if you get some spacing around this guy, like, let's see what could happen here. Um, John Collins, not so much after a 25 game PD suspension, although he has played well since then. Glenn Robinson, the third, he did really improve. Actually. Yep. I, I, li- I really liked what I saw from him in preseason. And uh, I think he, we'll see what happens to him now, but I thought, you know, he gave adequate play on the wing when he had, hadn't even been in the rotation previously. Malcolm Brogdon, we talked about too. Um, I, you know, I think he took a, a step forward. I mean, there's a lot of guys who really were a lot better. And yeah, and, unfortunately um, the guy who off the top of my head I would be my choice for most improved player was actually the guy that I chose for, for most disappointing player. <laughs> and that's Brandon Ingram. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't see this jump shooting coming. Like, I mean, well, the the issue that I saw with Ingram, and it all it all does tie together, is that I thought what was going to happen was his limitations were going to stay, and that once they got Zion, who was just this phenomenal talent, that those were going to become a big point of frustration. And yeah, I do remember being in the preseason, like, just stop dribbling, stop it, pass it, pass it, pass it. Like he was just holding the ball, wasn't moving it. Like it was, it was kind of annoying. But then when Zion went out, it was the perfect opportunity for his game to blossom. They needed that from him they to really be did. on the ball more. Uh, uh, well, so yeah, we we could just do this briefly. We we a category that we we don't talk about on on our monthly words column is the player who most beat regression for the last like t- five years that we've done this podcast. It's basically been either LeBron James or Chris Paul, both of whom have fantastic cases this year. Yeah, I the one that I picked was Steph Curry. I mean, wow. I would probably actually have to go with Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, because he of actually, how much he played. I think that's he, the difference. Yeah. And he progressed as well. Like at age 34, he had a better season. Um, a couple other ones that I, that I threw in there. Russell Westbrook. And yeah, I mean, especially when you consider how athletic he looked by the end, you, you could throw him in there. I, I had a few others, though, that don't look. Kyle Lowry was one, too. He actually was uh, did beat regression. This is actually kind of instructive because... I like to think about these older players as, hey, you know what? There's maybe, you know, a 25 or 30% chance that they really fall off. So you never want to predict that, oh, this one year is going to be the year that they fall off. But you know, at some point it has to happen. And so, hey, about 30% of these guys actually held, or or about 70% of these guys that I picked really held up well. And 30% of them, Al Horford and Mike Conley and LaMarcus Aldridge and maybe Lou Williams a little bit, really fell off. So the uh, of like you know a third of the guys that i picked uh, did fall off and the rest of them looked like their same old selves biggest surprise team is is kind of funny considering i picked their under and everything else but i still went with the raptors i went my order was and this is again it's most likely to be the number one not most you know ordering i went raptors mavericks bulls thunder i feel pretty good about that list what was that third team i said i felt pretty good i didn't feel great (laughs) uh I had, I feel pretty good about my list too. Dallas, OKC, Sacramento, and Toronto. Well, and Sacramento is better than the Bulls because, I mean, as part of the reason that they weren't as good was because one of their key players got hurt. And Sacramento, I would say, they they might be a team affected more by the abridged season than others because they were coming on to me. Like, they, there was a chance they were going to get the eight. Uh, who would have the biggest year-to-year wins improvement? I picked the Lakers. Would they win last year? Like 30... 
God, I used to be able to remember this stuff off the top of my head. The Lakers won 37 last year. That's right. So they were going to win probably 60. So Is it, would, that, would that have been the most? I think so. I'm, I'm working my way through. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, yeah, I mean, Phoenix wasn't going to get there. I mean, you see, a lot of times you look at the teams at the bottom and say, how, how many more? Dallas going from 33 into the 40s, but that's not close to the Lakers jump. It might have been. I mean, they, they could have gotten to like 51 or so. But yeah, the Lakers would have. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone else would have been over 20 wins more that yeah definitely not so and then i had chicago as the other one that was that was not the case well they had chicago only won 22 last year so i mean they did improve that that, that's true right the biggest surprise player i actually had john morant as number one because i just thought he was like people just didn't understand like how that he was going to be really good as a rookie and i don't know maybe he didn't surprise that many people i i don't really remember what the zeitgeist was on him early it must have been lower uh, low enough that i thought like i mean i think most people probably were picking him for rookie of the year once Zion went down but I think he still had a better year than most people expected. And just like what a highlight factory he was. I think that that took a lot of people by surprise. Um, who was your pick? Royce O'Neal. And I would say starting 55 of 64 games for the Jazz was, was somewhat of a surprise. He didn't have like a more efficient offensive season, but him being an important part of a successful team. You know, it's, I, I don't think he would be like number one in this category, but he did, I think he did surprise people. I also had TJ Warren, which again, I think most people are like, where where the hell did this defense come from for him? Now, if I thought he was going to be a surprise player, I probably should have been higher on the Pacers. And then Zach Levine was my other one, and I think he kind of just fulfilled expectations this year i i, I had a bunch of guys be. on my list um i'll just say the ones that i thought were most interesting as things turned out moxie kleba you could you could say some positives there norman powell um who had had a better year than i even anticipated um grayson allen that didn't work out tony snell that didn't work out but he's eh, bits and pieces um but that's that's enough i had like i have for this one and most disappointing i had like 15 guys uh but we can move to most disappointing team again i had four and again i feel pretty good about the list meaning three of four warriors hawks pacers spurs yeah you saw the spurs coming i i didn't uh i just had warriors and hawks as my two and and uh those close to the two most disappointing teams in the league i would say um certainly the warriors who who would be number one you'd think and biggest year-to-year wins drop i mean the warriors i had them in there i didn't think it would be this bad for them but i I mean again we were talking about the disaster potential after we saw their preseason we were like oh man this is not oh yeah it went from it went from being like oh they're probably going to go under to wherever you can get the under yeah um OKC actually going to win. Are they going to win more games or, or would they have won more games than they did the year before? They won 49 a year ago. So yeah, they might have, they might have actually done more. I mean, and frankly, the players that they got this year, not even mentioning the future assets, give them more value this year than the players they traded away gave them last year. Like Westbrook and Paul George haven't given them as much or didn't give them as much last year as Gallo and Chris Paul and Shea given this year. Now, part of that is just because their depth was so limited that just getting three players who were really good helped a lot. And one, especially one of them who could really shoot in Gallo, which they had always just not had but yeah didn't quite see that coming i mean to to make a trade like that get all of those future assets and get better i mean that's that's just insane also portland getting off the hook for not winning the biggest win year to year drop is pretty impressive considering they won 53 games and made the western conference finals last year but they didn't win 57 games and make the nba finals so yeah i also had the raptors as a possibility for biggest year to year win drop they might actually win more games than they won last year they won 58 last year and they're right on about that pace this year most disappointing player for me 
was D'Angelo Russell number one, and I feel I feel pretty decent about that one. He wouldn't he might not be the most in the whole league, but that's up there. But then I was completely wrong on my second choice, which was Will Barton. He actually was one of the more surprising players in the league for a lot of the year. I had Ingram, totally wrong. Uh, Sabonis Turner kind of as a combination, totally wrong. DeAndre Jordan, I feel pretty good about that. Russell, feel pretty good. about I thought that. DeAndre actually has been better than I thought he he's would been, be this year. But he, but he's. I had very low. That, that's what I'm saying. Like relative, I don't. I don't think it, sometimes it has to be based on on other stuff. I, um, I mean, I, I don't know if you heard, but he uh, he earned a starting position like in the last couple of games. He definitely did. Uh, how, how bad could he be? And then I had Kuzma fifth again. That's kind of versus general expectations rather than our own. Um, I wrote all of the Knicks non-Mitchell Robinson bigs. I think that actually worked out pretty well as a prediction. Um, Taj didn't have a terrible year, but he was just toiled. And I mean, to me, like Julius Randle, I think fits that description. Bobby Portis fits that description. A lot of those guys. Draymond I included on my list. I feel good about that. Oh, yeah. That was, that was good. Um, executive of the year. Number one, Lawrence Frank. I think you and I have stuck with that the whole season. Clipper is looking pretty good to make the NBA Finals. Um, number two, David Griffin. And number three, Sam Presti. I mean, Presti, I moved up to number two. And my number three was Pat Riley, who I did not see coming at all. And and Griffin, I think, was my number four. What about you? Uh, I think I, let, let's, I've tried to find it in my document. So I definitely, it was Frank Presti, and then, and I only listed Frank for the predictions part. Frank Presti, and then... Yeah. I don't I don't have my third written, so I don't have one. Uh not executive of the year. I just wrote down one name and that was Bob Myers. We were very low on the words. And amazing that we were like not even close to low enough uh, as it turned out. But um but now consider that Bob Myers wasn't even in my top 3 when we did it recently. You did you have him in your top 3? I did. I had him I had him second, I believe. I had Schlenk the first, I guess first last, however we define that. Yeah, ultimately for Myers, I mean, part of it is I think is he got lucky with Steph getting hurt and the Warriors getting that draft pick. And then also, I mean, he did do some nice things in the second round, uh, getting or a nice thing in the second round, getting Eric Paschal. But then also and, like they getting something for Glenn, like finding Glenn Robinson, but then dumping him for basically a nothing second round pick. Like I don't give him as much credit for that, especially because he didn't. Yeah, the but team. but getting getting out of the tax um was uh was pretty big for for next year we'll see how they end up using that but uh i, I think that he did enough to me and, and you know found some of these other guys like marquis chris who were able to contribute maybe we'll see whether those guys can actually be on a good team or not but um you know he he found enough guys that and who knows maybe the wiggins russell thing i feel like slightly better about it than i did at the time uh just seeing how wiggins has fit in i mean not that he's been so great or anything but um you know i do think he helps them more than russell did at least going forward um but yeah so uh and people who listen to our pod will remember we had travis schlank or i had travis schlank as number one was he your number one too for the actual awards that we did he was yeah and uh elton brand steve mills and, oh uh, yeah, I had, I had Mills second. I had Mills second and Myers third. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's take our medicine here and get to a little bit of news right after this. 
So by far the biggest piece of news that's come down since we last recorded, Kevin Durant, among four Nets players who tested positive for coronavirus. We don't know who the other three are. Apparently, three of them, including KD, do not have symptoms. Uh, So this is another indication of just how widespread this virus was, how wise it was to shut things down when they did. I mean, I think you can go back in hindsight and say that it should have been shut down earlier, at least for fans. I I don't know that it would have been realistic to completely shut down play before there was a, a positive test, uh, but it's uh, it's very sobering. And I mean, KD is a, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know if I would consider him a bigger worldwide celebrity than Tom Hanks, but it really just drives home if uh, <laughs> if if somehow it hasn't hit you yet that this is a big deal. Um, so good to hear though that he is asymptomatic but also scary because there's so many asymptomatic people walking around right now and, and uh, so many of them you know, have not been tested so it's a reminder that's right that yeah well. i mean i i'm kind of thinking of like you know what our way out of this is and i'm like i mean are we just gonna have to test like every single person in the country like is that is that what, like mandatory testing of every person in the country is like that what it's and you know obviously quarantining of those who are positive like is that what it's gonna take i mean maybe maybe that's what it's gonna have to be i mean i i'm i'm still grasping for ideas here i'm i'm you know i'm not an expert i'm just kind of brainstorming like i'm sure all the rest of us are who follow the news but aren't experts uh, on this stuff of like what it's going to take and what the path would be towards getting back to normal but um and that would be uh quite the undertaking if, if that's what it takes i mean we're gonna yeah i mean there need to be a lot more available tests to get there but yeah i think i think that's a key part of it and the, some of the six there are lots of different ways one of the good things is there are lots of different ways that different jurisdictions have been successful and one of them is aggressive testing and quarantining i think that you might argue that that's the only thing that's been successful thus far yeah for the places that have been able to do that effectively yeah I th- yeah um so we've got a couple of players undergoing surgery that really makes a lot of sense right now if you can do that in in a way that's safe and meets with social distancing requirements but uh jalen brunson underwent surgery this is almost a week ago now and the clippers announced that terrence mann underwent surgery to repair a ligament in his right hand i'm not sure whether that was one of the type of things where he's playing through and just going to have surgery after the season you would imagine that was the case because it'd be surprising if he had actually injured it after the season was over man 48th pick and there are some who thought he might be in the rotation this year that didn't turn out to be the case uh shooting was his uh, big limitation and it'll be uh a big summer for him but you know wasn't going to be a, a part of the clippers plans going forward at least this season regardless but uh as especially as a guy who needs to get better and shoot the ball uh having that surgery uh, can uh, i mean this would have been a good chance for him to work on his individual skills so shooting's the, the one thing he needed to work on the most but uh this is obviously going to set him back so and and brunson just to have it out there it was surgery on his torn labrum which it was an issue he was playing through on dallas and it was i, I think he was gonna I, I think he was gonna try to play through it like he hadn't actually come back yet like it was that uh that crazy protest game uh mark cuban got fined what did he get fined 500k for that i believe so um and his comments afterwards but it was that crazy game where they also were upset with the screen that caused that on the first play of the game yeah yeah um michael Mulder. i don't think we had a chance to talk about this Uh, the players union and the league have now agreed on a moratorium but Mulder did sign a three-year contract with golden state we talked about how he had looked pretty good 
in his first 10 day and that 10 day expired there was talk that he would sign another 10 day and instead they gave him a rest of season contract and he has 200,000 guaranteed if he's on the roster to start next season so that's I'm, that's not really too much if he's earns his place on there that 200k won't be a problem for the warriors and if he doesn't earn it then they can move on from him in training camp but it seems likely that he the way he played he might have had other offers to where they couldn't just give him another 10 day they needed to assign him to rest of the season i think that was smart he played well enough to earn that uh, he did in my opinion you know he looked acceptable defensively and he was a, a bomber from three and he certainly had shot it well in the g league his shot was off and on but you know over a 10-day contract i think he made like 16 threes or something like that so that, that was he had enough of a track record to assume that he would shoot it well enough uh to where you'd want to keep him around and, and he could fill an important role for them next year yeah absolutely could um kevin durant was the fourth player that tested positive for COVID 19 because christian wood was the third he uh played against rudy gobert on the preceding saturday before the season ended and would actually he had i believe he had career highs on consecutive games 30 against the jazz and then 32 on wednesday the last day of before the hiatus um he has been last reporting we had was that he was asymptomatic as well which is of course what you want to hear if somebody does have a positive diagnosis um in sacramento Marvin Bagley is um, is is doing on-court activities, and we'll see what... He could be one of these players. I mean, it's one of those storylines we'll talk about at some point of this hiatus helping out players who were dealing, who were recovering from things, especially not in Bagley's case, but in, like, let's say, Clint Capella's case, where it was repetitive or stress-related. Like, this, this extra time could end up really changing how the league looks when it comes back. Yeah, and in Utah, Donovan Mitchell apparently remains asymptomatic as well after his positive test. Uh, he did go on live TV from self-isolation and said that it did take him a while to cool off. But honestly, we don't know whether Mitchell gave it to Gobert, Gobert gave it to Mitchell, or they both acquired it separately. There's the news that a child who'd gotten an autograph from Rudy Gobert got the coronavirus, but you have no idea whether he got it from Gobert or he gave it to Gobert. Or, or, I mean, you just, you just don't know with any of that stuff. And certainly while Gobert deserves condemnation for not taking the virus seriously enough, both in that public video with reporters even though i think he was good-naturedly trying to do what he saw as the right thing and say hey i'm not scared of you guys like you know don't worry about it he obviously wasn't concerned enough he also was you know being careless touching teammates belongings and stuff as well so that was uh all of that definitely was not what you should be doing but uh sadly a mere nine days ago we were a different nation and we 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 all just didn't get it and so he maybe went a little bit further than that and the, those protocols were in place for a reason but i think ultimately it's probably a good thing that this happened and uh that things got shut down and the sports world got shut down and maybe even that uh our nation got shut down and so i mean my personal opinion is yeah he screwed up but it's understandable a lot of people weren't taking this seriously enough and you know he was just symptomatic of a larger cultural problem at that time yeah, I, I would say that's fair. And and also, it became a flashpoint for a lot of people. I mean, sports did in general. The NBA ended up leading the way there in terms of American sports. And that that was an important step, I think, for a lot of a lot of different communities to realize how big a deal this has now become. So a couple of other notes here. The NBA raised its credit limit up to $1.2 billion. It seems like the plan as of now is for players to continue to get paid. They have two more paychecks left in this season. Although, as Larry and I talked about, and we got into a long discussion about 
where the league's revenue comes from from a temporal standpoint versus when the players get paid and and how that could potentially affect negotiations but uh and some players get paid over the course of the entire year but in theory they have already earned between 20 and 25 percent or i'm sorry between 75 and 80 percent of their paychecks Woj reporting that if no more games at all are played that that the expectation is that players are going to get what they've already in theory earned in terms of the regular season games played which would be 75 to 80 percent of their normal paycheck and the owners haven't gotten 75 to 80 percent of their revenue yet this year when you consider the playoffs and the tv contracts now I don't have a great handle on whether the owners still get paid for these TV contracts if they can't, in fact, play the games because of this sort of a, an issue. I mean, we saw going back to the NFL lockout that the NFL still got paid during that lockout if there were to be one. Uh, there, there wasn't, but that, that gave them a lot of leverage that they were still going to get paid during the lockout. Don't really know what, what that says in terms of the TV contracts for the NBA, Brian Windhorst did say on his podcast that there's a hope that the NBA can somehow get to 70 regular season games because that's what all the RSNs, the local TV contracts, say, and that could really help them stanch the bleeding in terms of the amount of revenue lost. But getting to 10 extra just traditional regular season games doesn't really seem realistic to me. And so maybe there's some way, you know, if there's a play-in tournament or there's... something else where the rsns could believe that they've gotten enough but i think you know there'd probably have to be some kind of an amendment to those contracts you you would think um and i thought this was interesting too and it it brings to mind something that not that many people have talked about yet the ncaa released a financial statement showing that it expected to make around 900 million dollars from the now canceled ncaa tournament and they had insurance that will cover 250 to 275 million of that although it's also noted that it's unlikely to arrive soon and having been a former insurance lawyer there's really no reason for insurance companies to ever just pay that big of an amount without a fight yeah you might as you might as well just litigate it and see if you can negotiate it being less because okay fine it cost me two million dollars to do this litigation if i could potentially save half of 250 million you might as well just fight it even if you don't have a any kind of a legal leg to stand on that you don't know it and you know those uh i i used to be a policyholder insurance lawyer so uh i will i will get a dig in at, at my former colleagues who uh just we know are all snakes and will seize on any ridiculous argument they can uh, for uh representing an insurance company to avoid paying but uh so there almost certainly will be litigation about that in some form or fashion i, mean, I don't think an insurance company has ever just paid out 250 million dollars in a lump sum without litigating it uh, that i know of um and so obviously the NCA is going to have a big time revenue shortfall. They're supposed to send $600 million to Division One schools between April 15th uh, and June 10th. So that's uh, we haven't talked about this at all at the NBA of like what insurance they have and how much of that is going to cover it and whether in fact that would count as basketball related income. My understanding is that it would if they get an insurance payout, but how much that's going to be when they could get it, uh, all of that very much a, a question mark, whether it would pay out at all. So, but th- that is something to consider is that you would, I'd be very surprised if there weren't some sort of an insurance policy that applied here 
uh for the nba um anything else you want to talk about here are we uh are we ready to rock well uh, uh you can keep your keep your ears out for uh, real gym radio that will be coming out in the next couple days um excited about that and have some right written work in process at the athletic uh which is going to be exciting i mean we're we're figuring out how to adjust to this no sports paradigm but i think we're doing a good jo- we're doing a good job of it some of my colleagues are doing great work theathletic.com slash cap space and i will join them soon enough yeah, and thank you all uh, for those of you who are listening on on your whatever, however your routine has changed, whether it's your daily walk, doing the dishes, catching up on uh, all that stuff that you never had a chance to do around the house, uh, whatever it is, we appreciate you guys still listening, s- setting your podcast player to download us automatically. And also, we just really appreciate all the messages that we've gotten to from people who have said, yeah, hey, I, I appreciate what you're doing during this time, even with no sports. I mean, it does feel a little weird, to be honest, to be recording like this at a time when we normally have games on our normal schedule. But uh, response so far has been positive, which we really appreciate. But, uh, I mean, these are these are dark times, so we do really appreciate getting those messages. And uh, hopefully we can provide you with a little bit of an escape as well. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow night to finish out the week. Till then.